direction. <laughs> but Breckenridge is six miles. I know, but send Breckenridge, honey. <laughs> We're just keep it to three miles. <laughs> What if something like her cell phone is found at three and a half? No, we're just doing three miles. Let's go. Hi, Ellen Marsh. <gasps> Hi, Patricia. You just got so happy to see me. <laughs> I am. To see you. <laughs> you know what I think about sometimes? What? When we were in college, when we came back from sophomore year or whatever, there was a party and I wanted us to be together the whole night, but you had so many friends, you had to see other people. So I carried you, I literally carried you around from person to person for you to say hello. And then the next day I could not get out of bed. <laughs> I threw out my back carrying you around a party junior year of college. Thank you, girl. That tracks. I mean, all of it. Honestly, me not wanting to walk myself, you being a dutiful friend, and then due to your love and dutifulness, you threw out your back. It all tracks. Welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, where Patrick Hines and I recap episodes of IDs Disappeared by recapping them and talking. You do it so much better than me. It goes like this. Welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared that tells the story of what happened. Tell them about the Facebook group, girl. Oh my gosh, we just hit 10,000 Facebook pals. Yay! Come to the Facebook group if you still like Facebook. It's super <laughs> fun, everyone. It's just like, it honestly makes me laugh. This morning, I woke up to a picture of Robbie Williams and another woman with Prince's <laughs> face superimposed on it. <laughs> and somebody said, I finally found a picture of Ellen and Yeah, Robbie. it was a woman with Prince's face poorly superimposed on it. It might have been the funniest thing I've seen all week. And you can also follow us on Instagram at The Disappeared Pod every Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. We go live. We talk about the episode we just covered this week. We tell funny stories about our life. We engage with you. Patrick gets a little day drunk. Evening drunk. Evening drunk. Yeah, evening drunk. And uh, we're also on Twitter. And we love engaging with you guys. It's it's a fun little crazy community of little filthy animals we've we've designed here. (laughs) You little filthy animals. (laughs) It's not even Christmas. You guys, Disappeared, Season 2, Episode 7, Danger at Dusk, tells the disappearance of Christy Cornwell. A divorced mother takes an evening walk. I had said, uh, Christy, I wish you wouldn't walk so late. She chats on her cell. Suddenly, she screams. I know her voice. She was being abducted. Desperate, her mother makes a public appeal on YouTube. I just ask for you to come forward and give law enforcement the information they need. Police think they may have their man, but their most promising lead falls apart. We need the one piece to fall into place. Will Christy Cornwell ever be found? You just don't quit, you don't give up. You guys, it starts, it's Tuesday, August 11th, 2009. It's the day that Christy disappears. Look, we learn and we see a reenactment of this woman going for her daily walk. It's like her exercise walk. And she's going in flip-flops, which I just don't recommend it. What's an exercise walk, my love? Look, I'm, I I don't really understand the concept of exercise. I hear that it's when you move your legs. I thought you said extra fries. Oh, <laughs> my bad. 
She's going for her extra fries walk. Now, see, that's how you could get me to exercise. Extra fries walk, you say? Is there a dipping sauce? Can I get some ranch? Ready? Say your favorite dipping sauce on the count of three. One, two, three. Barbecue sauce. Honey mustard. Ugh, you're a sociopath. Okay. Christy's nightly walks have been a ritual all summer while visiting her family was in the summer and it was hot, very hot, and she would wait until late afternoon or e- early evening before she'd go on her walk because she said it was a lot cooler then. So we hear from her very sweet mother, Joanne, several times through the documentary, and she tells us that she had expressed to her that she didn't really feel good about her walking late at night, but she said, listen, it cools down at night. Yeah. So the reason she was going out for a walk, number one, was for exercise, but number two, earlier in the summer, she had a little accident. She slipped and fell on a flight of stairs. Yeah. So she was just trying to get her back moving, get her muscles moving. So she had a lot of reasons for going on this, now we learn, dangerous walk. So we learn that when she's on her walk on the night that she is abducted, she's on the phone with her boyfriend, Pastor Douglas, who we learn that he has an online ministry. Let's talk about him in a couple minutes. Okay. (laughs) We're going to circle back to Douglas Davis. He is not interviewed in this episode. Like many single adults, Christy and Douglas met online. They had been dating for seven weeks and were growing fond of each other. Christopher, the announcer, says they were growing fond of each other. And I was like, it sounds like they were on, like, an episode of Downton Abbey. Like, with, like, a really, like, stuffy old white man realizes he has, like, a crush on the stable girl. And he's like, I don't know. I I guess I'm quite fond of her, I suppose. Like... I also love that they met online and Christopher is here to dispel any notions you have that meeting online is for losers. Like many single adults, Christy and Douglas met online. Christopher, it's fine. It's totally fine. Give me some adjectives just so that our listeners can understand. Give me some adjectives that would describe Douglas Davis, the pastor, her boyfriend at the time. Um, I don't know. He's very like he he looks very scammy to me. Like yeah. that's all that's all I can really say. I kept coming back to two words. I kept coming back to smarmy. Yeah, I was thinking smarmy as well. I don't really know what it means, but I like it for him. Yeah. And he just seems super inauthentic. A million percent. You guys, he like didn't want to be interviewed for this episode, but he also like there's a, an interview from him from the Today Show with Ann Curry. Yeah. Who you can tell just does not like him. The body language of this interview, he's like leaning towards her and she's holding a Bible. I know. Holding a Bible. <laughs> and she's leaning so far back, it's like her chair is about to tip over. You're so right. The body language is so- yeah. he didn't do it. We're gonna find like he he didn't do it. He didn't do it, but like at one point Ann Curry literally says to him, she's like, So you've been cleared by the FBI, the GBI, and the local police. But I really think you did this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she didn't say that. But she said something like, do you know anything? And like before she even answered, he was like shaking his head. I know. I was like, calm down, Pastor Doug. <laughs> it's, it's Ann Curry. Show some respect. Yeah. So then Christopher says. Before meeting Douglas, Christy had a turbulent love life. That's my drag name? Is that is that a good place to put it? Is that a good place to put it? Wait, how do you patronize me? Oh, there's my baby girl. Oh, there's my baby girl. Who's got a drag name? Who's got it? Who's dead inside? Yes, you are. You've had a turbulent love life. But this poor woman, Christy, like, we see all these pictures of her from, like, the 80s and the 90s with, like, enormous hair. You guys, she's had three husbands, this lady. I know. She was recently divorced. She also has a son. You think you're ever going to have a husband again, girl? No, never. Carry on. <laughs> Listen, I'll have a partner, but I don't need to get the government involved. You know what I mean? We don't need, we don't need to do that twice. It's t- 
totally fine. And by government, she means police. (laughs) But she believed she had now turned over a new leaf and told her friends how hopeful she felt about Douglas. She's basically calling her girlfriends and being like, I think the fourth time's going to be the charm, you guys. I know, I know. But listen, like, you know, she's lovely and, yeah. you know, men can be men can be challenging. Uh, that was a nice way to put it. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything about that. So we learn that Christy, this is actually really cool. We learn that she's in the middle of a career change, which I super admire. She's 38 yeah. years old and she was in, this is super vague, she was in law enforcement. They don't really go into that. I was like, was she a police officer? Was she a meter maid? Did she work at that jail with Nikki McCowan? Like, yeah. she started as a guard and ended up as a head accountant? Yeah, that's a linear career path in some places. <laughs> but I think it's really cool. So she went back to school to be a medical technician. And I think, like, you know that old saying, like, you know, if you don't like your circumstances, change them. That takes a lot of guts at 38 to say, I'm actually going to make a left turn in my life. But she was. She was in the middle of a huge um, career change, which I think is, is so commendable. On that balmy summer night, when Christy is walking along Jones Creek Road and talking on her cell phone earpiece to her boyfriend Douglas, a car suddenly approaches her from behind. She tells Douglas to hang on. A moment later, he hears Christy scream. I know her voice, I know it well. She was afraid. Douglas hears Christy pleading with someone not to take her. And the tone that gave me the, f- the, the, the fullest confidence that she was being abducted. Girl, was it the tone or the fact that she was screaming, please don't abduct me? Yeah. <laughs> Which was it, Doug? So he stays on the phone and he hears scuffling. Oh, can you imagine? No. You're like no. listening to the abduction of your loved one? Yeah. To be on the other side of that phone call. I know. Help us. He's 100 miles away in Atlanta. But he's really smart because I'm like, well, fuck, what do you do? Like, she hasn't disconnected the call. You want to be able to, like, hear what's happening, but you also have to call 911 at the same time. He's, like, got another phone. Like, I I would not have thought of this. It was very smart of him. Nor me. So he, I would just be like, ah, 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 ah. Like, I would just be flailing around my house, turning over my own table for no reason. <laughs> for no reason. They're like, can you pick that up? I know. No, sorry. I'm having a, I'm having a breakout. <laughs> so, like, he's listening to, like, the scuffle on one phone, calling 911 on the other. Then this blows my mind. But because Christy is in Union County, Georgia, 100 miles north of where Douglas is located in Atlanta, the Atlanta dispatcher can't help. Super can't help you with that. Good luck, though. Yeah, so I gave birth to little kittens and I put them under the stairs when I heard that <laughs> because they're like, hey, we can't help you. Here's the non-emergency number for Union County. So I was super like confused as to how passing the buck works when someone's life is actually at stake. And somebody is like in the middle. It's like mid-kidnap. Right. Mid-kidnap. I know. So don't be mad at me, okay? Okay, what did you? who'd you call? I called the Atlanta Police Department. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and I spoke with Officer Lewis. I love that, like, she literally was like, oh, Ellen Marsh, you said, we've been waiting for your call. Yeah. You're, wow, you guys are at season two, episode six already? Wow. <laughs> you guys are really going through them. You didn't have to say a word. So, yeah, there she's like, hey, Al. You're, you're calling to yell about that thing that happened with that creepy pastor, aren't you? Yeah, we've been expecting your call. 
so I called her and I asked her what the protocol for that type of thing was. So she gave me two options. She said exactly what they said in the documentary. We would give them the number for the non-emergency. So here's the way she described the non-emergency number to me. She said the non-emergency dispatch is just like calling 911, except for 911 calls are prioritized. I was like, well, yeah, that's why we have 911. And she said, some people are actually scared to dial 911. Why? She said that like, there's a lot of like anxiety and people feel like they're freaking out and they think that they shouldn't. So a lot of people actually call their local non-emergency numbers with 911. Okay, but like creepy, slimy pastor is like, my girlfriend is being kidnapped. Could you give me the priority number in her town? I know. And I said, I'm well, not afraid to call 911. I called you guys. I know. I know. And she's, she's, I said, couldn't you just like transfer? She's like, no, not really. No, not really. The kidnapping is in progress. Like the kid, I'm listening to the kidnapping. I know. You can't connect me? So basically, Officer Lewis kind of backed up exactly what they said on ID in 2009. Because they had a training about you last month. Some <laughs> queen down in Atlanta listens to this podcast. They're like, all right, look, season two, episode six is coming up, you guys. We've only got about three weeks to get ready for that call. So here's what we're going to do. It was a weekend seminar. They were away from their wife and kids getting ready for your fucking phone call. She knew what to say. She went through that training. Then he went. She was scared for her life of that phone. And I just imagine that, like, the phone rang in the Atlanta office today, and the music went, bum, bum. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, she sees it, like, it's blinking on her phone. And she's like, oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Here we go. I, I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm a spectator <laughs> at this point. They provide him a non-emergency number to the Union County Sheriff's Office. He contacts that number, and is, is, is he's not able to make contact with anyone. Nobody fucking answers because they're all answering the priority 911 calls. This guy, Doug, scammy as he is, thinks that he calls 411, gets the mom's uh, phone number at the house, calls the house. About approximately 9.25 p.m., the phone rang, so I picked up. Douglas said, Joanne, listen. I was on the phone with Christy, and someone's taking her. I said, what are you saying? Now, what are you saying? Yeah. And I was like, no! (laughs) At that point, you just start banging your head against the wall. Yeah. Then Joanne, the mom, has to call 911 from Union County. But that 911 call comes in after 10 p.m. The incident occurred anytime between 915 and 920 p.m. The dispatch from the Union County Sheriff's Office did not occur until after 10 p.m. So we meet one of our talking heads, Brian Whidbey from, guys, we're back with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And Brian, listen, Brian isn't a bad guy. He's just like a particular kind of milk toast. Yeah. So like, remember how Georgia has their own Bureau of Investigation? I've literally never heard of it until the Tara Grinstead episode. Yeah. But I'm still a little residually angry at the Tara Grinstead episode. So I'm, I'm a little heated and hot. Christy's mother. Overcome with concern, jumps in her car and frantically searches the area where her daughter frequently walked. Local police are finally on the scene. When I passed back by the little church that she probably was walking by, a policeman had pulled in and said, things like that don't happen around here. Well, things like this don't really happen around here. Number one, we're about to find out that, yes, they do, yeah. and much worse. And it's like, it just happened. Yeah. What do you mean? 
Uh, just uh, don't say that. No. Don't, things happen everywhere. People are taken. Sex trafficking happens in South Carolina. Right. Predators <laughs> do not stick to major metropolitan area. That's counterproductive response. No. It's right up there with like she disappeared into thin air. Don't say that. It happened. Right. Things don't happen <laughs> like that around here. They just did it, in fact. Yeah. And we're going to find out later that this shit has happened a bunch. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. So her dad is out in the woods searching for her. We find out that her boyfriend is, like, rushing to the area. Christy's younger brother, Richard, is also en route from Knoxville, Tennessee. It was devastating to get the news. It was a very difficult drive, but I was able to to hold it together. When we're getting this backstory, we see a sign outside a local church. Every building in this town is a church, by the way. Yeah. They're like, we made a command center at the church. We went for breakfast at the restaurant, which is actually a church. <laughs> we went to the police station, which is in the basement of the church. Anyway, every, every building is a fucking church. But we see a sign outside one of the churches that says... Jesus is coming soon. Could we get some context for that? Like, how soon? And then when do you, like, quietly take that sign down because Jesus never came? Yeah. Like, when do you out of embarrassment, you're like, we were wrong about this one. Yeah. He's not on his way. We're we're taking the sign down. Can we we take that down? (laughs) He still might be coming. (laughs) I don't think he is. (laughs) Let's just leave it. Okay, it's just embarrassing when you say something and it doesn't happen, right? Okay. Wait, did I ever tell you the story when Travis was an auctioneer and there was a guy named Hayes? The, the auction number, the bid card would come up with your name. So if you bid on something, it would be like Patrick Hines. And he would say, congratulations, Patrick Hines, right? Yeah. And one guy's name was Jesus. Oh, no. And he goes, and bid card number 64, thank you, Jesus. And I was like... <laughs> And he did it, and I was like, I'll let it go. And then Jesus bought something else, and Jesus bought something else. And I ran up to the podium, and I said, it's an H. And he goes, what? And I said, a J is an H in Spanish. What are you talking about? And I go, it's Jesus. He said, thank you, Jesus. That's not a, that's, that's a true story. So, to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They keep reiterating how safe this area is, how safe the area is. We we don't even lock our doors. I mean, you guys, like, who wants to be the reason the neighborhood locks the doors? I know. Just lock the door. Everyone. Don't be a cautionary tale. It's like, you really want to be like that. Well, we didn't lock our doors, but then you remember what happened to Ellen Marsh. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? No, you want that to be you? It's the weirdest thing, but everyone keeps reiterating how safe it was, how safe it was. That's a, that's a perfect place for a predator to go. You know where they leave their doors unlocked? Union County. Let's go there. They have meetings about it. Exactly. The bad guys have meetings. Douglas heads to a command post that authorities have set up at a nearby Baptist church. By chance, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation is already there. Two agents of our office and a crime scene specialist are actually in Union County working a separate murder investigation. The GBI was already in town, you guys, because they were investigating another murder in the neighborhood. They're investigating another murder. I know. (laughs) I thought that kind of thing didn't happen here. I know. (laughs) You guys really should be locking your doors. This is not a safe neighborhood, you guys. So Douglas Davis tells the GBI everything he can remember. He very, very vividly remembers her saying, hang on, I have to get out of the way of this car. He also remembers Christy saying in her sort of scuffle and pleading, I have a son. I've lived in this area my whole life. So then Christopher says, GBI agents theorize that Christy's statements made during the abduction were by design. We believe that Christy was actually talking to her abductor trying to reason with this person. I feel like they're like, now look at this little lady. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. 
at the GBI. But like, yeah, that's what we're told we're supposed to do. You're supposed to humanize yourself, right? Yes. Isn't yeah. that a isn't that a defense mechanism? Here's hoping I never have to know, but the world's a crazy place. <laughs> My name is Patrick. I have a, a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> No, I'm telling you, look, we made this joke in episode one. If you or I ever got kidnapped, the kidnapper would, like, a quarter mile down the road, stop the van, open the back door, and throw us the fuck out. Because it would just be like, <laughs> They're like, yeah, not worth it. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. How do I get out of this carpet now? Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyone know how I unroll myself from a carpet? This tarp is actually quite comfortable. Thank you. They had to use an extra large tarp for Patrick. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I was like a medium-sized tarp just a year ago before quarantine. After verifying Davis's story and his whereabouts, the GBI excludes the Atlanta pastor from its investigation. So we learned really, really early on that Douglas is cleared of any involvement. He's not a suspect. Although Ann Curry is still suspicious. And he doesn't want to be on Disappeared either. He's like, let me cut right to the chase. I will be on a national show. I will not be on some bullshit syndicated app show. So the investigators tell us they have their first clue. We had spoken with a caretaker of the church. That person and his daughter saw what they believed to be a white or a silver, maybe even a light-colored sport utility vehicle on the road around about the time they saw Christy. Yeah, and so we learn that the mom tells us that Christy had told her a few weeks earlier, Doug and Christy go out for a walk, and during the walk, an SUV that's just like the one that this church caretaker saw pulled up three feet behind them and just, like, creepily slowed down. And then as they turned around to be like, what's this guy's problem? It, like, sped away. So, like, there's something going on with the creepy SUV situation. So it's 2 a.m. the night that Christy went missing, and her brother... Drove the <laughs> sorry, sorry, I, sorry, I apologize. I'm a horrible person. Although her parents have already searched the area where she went walking, her brother Richard decides to take matters into his own hands. He goes back to the scene armed with a flashlight. Armed with a flashlight. And I was screaming at my TV. I was I like, know. just a flashlight? And he goes, and a handgun in his coat pocket. I was like, okay, okay, okay. I mean, I hate guns, but like, I also hate being kidnapped more. So yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. the brother gets a pass this time. Totally agree. They tell us that like the brother literally searches through the woods like all night by himself, which by the way, sounds fucking terrifying. First of all, he'd driven all night. Yeah. And then searched this like woods forest area all night long. But like as Don approaches he finds one of the flip flops and it's like where were the fucking police like why in every episode are the police they're like they cut they swoop in there's 80 cops they're like we searched it we didn't find anything. The next day the brother goes and finds all this evidence like what the fuck? Yeah brother Richard is a down bitch. I yeah. mean like he is he left all his fucks down back in Tennessee totally. and he is like I am finding my sister I am finding the clues. So the GBI arrived and and Brian Whibby, who I'm irrationally mad at for no good reason. <laughs> it's like he was me to you in a dream. Yeah. So then Christopher says, GBI agent Brian Whitby is one of the first on the scene. Nah, bitch. Right. <laughs> Her brother was the first on the scene because yeah. he watched the goddamn sunrise and he didn't care about his sleep or his REM cycles. He was going to find his sister. Yeah. And then he says something super garbagey. He says, We located the second flip-flop which matched the one we had found earlier again i say 
nah, bitch. <laughs> Richard found that flip flop. You ain't taking credit. He fully took credit for the work that I his know. brother had done all night long. Whatever. I'm I'm irrationally angry at them. I apologize. It's fine. And then in the same area where the brother knew to search the GBI, they find the second flip flop, the earpiece of the phone, and her glasses. And it's like the the cop is like, it starts to confirm. It starts to set in with her family that something bad has happened to her. So we were starting to think that something bad had happened to her. It was as if ID had said, so we're going to make this show for children. Right. <laughs> so if you can just talk like you're talking to a yeah. child, we were beginning to think something bad. Like, yes! I know. He heard her screaming on the other end of the phone, please help me, I'm getting kidnapped. Yes, something bad happened. I, I Look at me. I know. Look at me. I know. And so, like, you know, th- I will say that, like, in, in all of these episodes, it's like the, the cops don't want to help. They don't want to do anything. 911 doesn't want to take the call. But then when they start looking, like, they really start looking. Over the next two days, search dogs and helicopters canvassed the local area, looking for more signs of Christy. We searched uh, three miles in all directions. Oh! That's that's half of Breckenridge, honey. Just three miles. The guy was in a fucking car when he abducted her, you guys. It's not like he was on foot. They make it sound like three miles in all directions. That's still just three miles. That's still three miles. So then, as if to really rub the GBI's nose in it, someone was mowing their lawn at about three and a half miles away. found her cell phone. When GBI agents examined Christie's cell phone, they hoped to find fingerprints that could steer them to her abductor. But as luck would have it, their efforts are thwarted. The person who found the phone actually cleaned the phone and wiped it down, so there, there were really no forensic fingerprints. This is why you don't fucking touch shit if you find it. I know. Like this guy, this good Samaritan was like, oh, let me just clean off this phone so I don't give it a dirty phone to this police officer because they said it was found on the side of the road that looks as though it was thrown out the driver's side window. Yeah. So maybe the guy was wearing gloves, but maybe he wasn't. Like, right. if this guy had just left the phone there and called the police, they maybe could have gotten some fingerprint evidence. No, he's like, this phone is filthy. Let me clean it before I hand it into the police. Filthy, full of all these fingerprints. <laughs> he Googles how to get rid of fingerprints. He's like just the sweetest man. I cleaned it for you. Spick and span. Good as new. I pour bleach all over it. I reset all the factory settings. (laughs) (laughs) So the GBI decides they're going to what? brought in their search. Oh, really? Oh, really? Because three miles was just not enough. With authorities from over 17 law enforcement agencies, local, state, and an FBI air unit, spread out over approximately 400 acres. We're definitely treating it very seriously. We did have, at one point, uh, 60 special agents of the GBI in the area. A week and a half of searching, they have to stop, and this breaks my heart. Why do they have to stop? For budgetary reasons. <gasps> I mean, if you guys, if you really think about it, how do you find a missing person? Like, that's it kind of doesn't happen very often. And the guy kind of says, like, how long are we supposed to, like, search the woods, though? Am I allowed to say that? Like, I know, I know, but you know what? They're, the parents are like, cool, you guys wrap it up. Yeah, uh, right. We're going to keep going. The Cornwell family accelerates its own search efforts. Christie's father, Harold, an experienced outdoorsman, organizes ground searches. And Christie's brother, Richard, searches from the sky. We find 
out that Brother Richard has a plane. It's a, it's a Cessna. It's, it's just it's, a Cessna. You're right. It's just a fucking Cessna. The guy's got a plane. Do I need to get a plane? Does everyone have planes now but me? Yeah. My stepmom used to have a, a plane. What? <laughs> she did. What? Yeah. <laughs> She was a plane and a pilot. She worked in Fresno and we lived in the Bay Area and she used to fly back and forth. Herself? Yeah, she was a pilot. <laughs> yeah. You guys, I've known Ellen for 20 years. I've known her for 20 years. I just learned that there's a plane in the family. Yeah, but that was from my stepmom and my dad. We don't talk about that due to childhood trauma. <laughs> Laugh at my pain. It's fine. What's a dad? <laughs> in the coming weeks, the family raises enough money to fund further searches and to offer a $50,000 reward. The scope of the search expands to three surrounding counties. So now they have made their search over three counties, which is vast. (laughs) You're really trying to keep that alive. Good for you, girl. (laughs) Wait, do you know that someone actually found out that the first person to use vast on our podcast was you? Is that right? Yeah, like a listener messaged me and they're like, don't let Patrick come for you about using the word vast all the time because he used it first. And she gave me a timestamp. No way. Yeah, she's like, Listen to the first episode at like 3924. He says vast. I was like, that is a down bitch. I was like, thank you. (laughs) So now we're jumping to September 11th, 2009. It's the Chattahoochee National Forest in Georgia. After exactly one month of searching for Christy Cornwell, an unusual discovery catches investigators' attention. About 10 miles south of her last known whereabouts, a hunter scouting for game stumbles upon a campsite. The Union County Sheriff initially wonders if the site could be connected to Christie's disappearance. But after closely examining it, authorities determine it's related to another abduction, which ended in murder. If you live in this town, you need to sell your house. <laughs> you need to- and lock your goddamn doors. Lock- Get out of there. Lock your doors and move. I was like, what is this narrative that everyone's like, that nothing happening here. What about the abduction recently? Oh, yeah, that one. And the murder. Oh, yeah, that one, too. Like, what are they all talking about? They're, like, spreading rumors about how safe this city is. No, Just lock your fucking doors. So we learn about the abduction of Meredith Hope Emerson. She was abducted by a guy named Gary Michael Hilton. But it was New Year's Day, 2008. She went hiking on a mountain called Blood Mountain. Can we have a petition to have that changed? Can we have that changed? I don't like that name. Let's call it, like... Pretty Mountain. Pretty pretty Hiking Mountain. Go with a partner mountain. Don't hike this mountain alone mountain. Even if you have a dog, that doesn't matter. You still need a person and maybe a small handgun mountain. Like, I don't know. I I can riff on it. I can workshop it and get back to you, but I just don't like Blood Mountain. I really like Don't Hike Alone. You need another person, a dog, and a small handgun mountain. I think that's the name. It has a ring. It happened on New Year's Day, 2008, after 24-year-old Meredith Emerson went hiking from this trailhead with her dog on Blood Mountain near the Appalachian Trail. Days later, Drifter Gary Michael Hilton emerged as a suspect. He confessed to killing Meredith and then led authorities to her decapitated body. What the fuck? I'm going to say this calmly because I can't yell about everything. Yeah. This is not a safe town. (laughs) It's not a good place to live. Okay, that's like your thesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to sell the house or burn it down and get the insurance. Get. We're gonna put the zip code in the in the Facebook group, and I want I want this to be a ghost town by Christmas. (laughs) 
if there's a single resident left in this town. I have a guest room. If you need to get out for the time being till you find another place, you can have my guest room. You want to build a wall, America? Build it around this town. No one's going back. It's the scariest town. And so Christopher so lovingly tells us, Gary Michael Hilton was already in prison serving a life sentence when Christy disappeared. So authorities and her family know he didn't commit the crime. And I just like looked around. I was like, am I a goddamn romper room right now? Yeah, he didn't do it. Right, somebody else killed this woman. You guys, get out of this town. We're going to rename the mountain, not to be Blood Mountain, but we're going to name the town Murder Town. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm going to check. I'm going to call the U-Haul place tomorrow. Every goddamn last truck better be rented. I want you out by Christmas. (laughs) You guys, he is not messing around. Murder Town U-Haul, this is Mary. Mary, (laughs) do you have any trucks between now and Christmas? Well, actually, no, ma'am. She calls me ma'am. No, ma'am. All the trucks are rented. Seems everyone's a-moving. Good, that's that's all I needed to know. Mary, I'm looking at a cottage on a don't hike this mountain alone, even with another person and a small dog. You need a handgun mountain. Um, do you are are the schools good over over by there? <laughs> what are the property taxes? <laughs> so then Brian, the guy I'm mad at for no reason, says we also interviewed uh, all sex offenders in the Uni County, Georgia, as well as three surrounding counties. The GBI questions every ex-con that Christie had contact with. What is this clownery? Like, what is this? How many sex offenders and ex-cons live in this town? You guys, get out of this town. And also, why was Christie hanging? Like, in my mind, I made up this whole scenario that the GBI was like, well, you know, women are feeble-minded and they're weak. You know, they're the weaker sex. So they might have come into contact with an ex-con and not even know it. We haven't determined whether or not Christie was a whore. We think no, but we can't be too sure. Like, what are you saying? I I just made up this whole three-act play in my head as to why they interviewed ex-cons that she might have been in contact with. I had the same question, but like then I realized, oh, she was in law enforcement. Like, these might be people that she like worked with at the jail. But we just, we don't know where she worked. It just is the weirdest sense. We interviewed every (laughs) ex-con because... 72% 72% of our town are ex-cons, so right. it could have been anybody, really. But it's so safe there, you guys. Just don't, you don't even have to lock your door. Don't even lock your doors. Just go hike <laughs> Blood Mountain all by yourself. Early December 2009. Nearly four months after Christy Cornwell disappeared, and with so many dead ends, the GBI makes a surprising announcement. They have a possible break in the case but they need the public's help. So this tip that they get is that nine days before Christy was abducted, in an area that was like very close to where Christy was abducted, there was another woman out exercising at 9 p.m. doing the same kind of thing, like going on a power walk or whatever, and a vehicle pulls up behind her and then hits her, but hits her at like a slow enough velocity that it just like knocks her over. It was a light-colored SUV. It had the same kind of brush guard on the front that they think that the car that like abducted Christy had that the caretaker saw. So they're in North Carolina so they start to draw the similarities between these two sort of weird crimes. Similar area, similar time of day, similar surroundings. And then remember when Christy was on the phone with Doug the night that she was out for her walk she's like oh hang on I have to get out of the way for this car that wasn't moving for her like in retrospect seemed like it might have been the same situation where like the car was trying to hit her. Right like he had a blueprint for the crime or something like that. But unlike Christy the victim in the North Carolina case intentionally struck down by the vehicle, had luck on her side. Uh, The driver of the vehicle exited and approached her. At that time, she began screaming. Uh, Another car began approaching, 
and the driver of the vehicle got back in the vehicle. Does nobody look at license plates anymore? (laughs) This guy just hit you. You're screaming for your life. His car is right there. This other car that comes by, and it's like, is that woman screaming for her life and just keeps going? It's you. It's you in the car. You don't even see this person. You just drive right by. Oh, she's screaming. She looks like she's in trouble. Somebody else will help her. Nobody writes down the license plate number. But it is dark. So this person pulls over. The only thing they have is the suspect was described as a white male, mid-20s, dark hair. But then there's like another woman who calls them and she's like, oh my God, that composite sketch is on the news. That guy tried to kidnap me like two weeks ago. This attempted abduction occurred two months before Christy Cornwell's disappearance while a woman was fixing her car at the side of a road. In her words, he just came up behind her. That victim was able to fight off her attacker. It's just kidnap murder town. I know. Kidnap murder town. <laughs> She'd been, like, fixing her car on the side of the road. This guy, like, runs up behind her and grabs her. She beats his ass. Like, she fights him off and he runs away. But she got a good look at him. So she then, she goes and sits down to, like, make her own composite drawing. And so now, again, the police are like, all right, well, it seems like maybe all these cases are connected. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> so another month passes. We're five months past Christie's abduction. And the weirdest thing happens. Copies of a letter arrive at sheriff's offices in Blairsville where Christie was abducted and the town where the North Carolina incident occurred. And we should be super clear that like, though it's two separate states, it's only 10 miles apart. Like they're very, very close by. Who's my big geography, big boy? <laughs> Who's a big boy that has been studying his map? <laughs> You're a monster. The otherwise anonymous and untraceable letters purportedly written on a computer by a concerned grandmother, describe a 27-year-old grandson's suspicious activities while visiting her in early August 2009. And she says, like, you know, the night of that Christie girl's abduction, he actually didn't come home until the next morning, the 12th. He had scratches on his hands and his face. He was really anxious to leave the area. He said he needed to be paid so he could leave and go back to Florida. Paid for what? We don't get any answers on that. That's what... <laughs> wanted to know he was like had a little side hustle while he was visiting his grandma i know. I mean listen I make know. your money live your life but what were you doing i know and like i think this letter is bullshit like the the grandmother never comes out of the woodwork she does she doesn't identify this kid the cops are like it's not really a great use of our limited resources to try to track him down so instead they get christy's mother to make a youtube video sort of like pleading for this grandmother to identify herself we have a lot in common We have a bond. We both are mothers. We're both grandmothers. And I certainly know how you feel about your grandson. I just ask for you to come forward and give law enforcement the information they need and then let them prove or disprove his innocence or guilt. Nothing comes of it. And it's like, this it's fake. Like, this letter is fucking fake, yes? Yeah. When I saw it, I was like, oh, God, this is going to crack it. And then, no. I know. But, like, you know what? There are just some sick fucks out there who think that's hilarious. I guess she like, gave her phone number in the video, and she's getting, like, crank calls. Yeah, people are sick. It's fucking crazy. So, April 8th, 2010. Oh, get ready, you guys. God damn. It's early morning in an upscale Atlanta neighborhood. A hundred miles from Christie's family home. Police respond to reports of a man parked behind a restaurant inside a suspicious vehicle. It's a black Nissan Xterra with a brush guard. The car matches the vehicle driven by a man accused of kidnapping and rape in Gilmer County, Georgia, 
just a day earlier. And it turns out that this guy, who, who they think is like the person who did this kidnapping and rape, is in a black SUV like behind this restaurant. And so they like some Samaritan calls the cops. The cops show up. He's telling them like through, and there's video. He's telling them like through the window that he's like wired up the car to bombs and he's feeling suicidal. And then he takes his own life and we hear the gunshot. It's fucking bonkers. But then we learned, too, that like a few days before this, there was an attempted kidnapping at like a, a church Easter egg hunt or whatever. No, it wasn't attempted. He kidnapped that little girl. He threw her in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like he gets her into the car. Somehow she gets out of the car and he takes off and they're, they're realizing it's the same person. The guy who did this kidnapping of this 10-year-old girl then went on to kidnap and rape this other girl who they describe as a relative. Right, a family member. We don't get any more information than that. But then he takes his life like in the back of this restaurant. And the reason we're hearing this story is because they think that this guy looks good to be the guy who abducted Christy. This piece of shit's name is James Scott Carringer. Recently, we have, again, received a phone-in tip from an anonymous source that they believe that Carringer uh, should be looked at in reference to the Cornwall disappearance. Agent Whitby begins delving into James Scott Carringer's life and makes a surprising discovery. Carringer lived in very close proximity to Christy Cornwell's family home, just 18 miles away. And here is the craziest thing. Yeah. So while they're investigating him, they find out, in addition to the black Nissan Xterra, he has two other vehicles of the exact same description. A white Nissan Xterra and a silver Nissan Xterra. And like in case this hasn't come through in the episode, like that's the exact description of the car that abducted Christy and the exact description of the car that ran over that woman that he tried to attack in North Carolina. Right. This is obviously the fucking guy. And we learned that he randomly gave his stepson his car. He was like, hey, do you need a car? And he's like, "Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I need a car. He's like, you will have this one. That was in the days after Christy like went missing and so they're interviewing this guy's friends and family and they're saying he's like super secretive he'll turn off his phone so that nobody can like find him for like they say hours and then days and then like a week at a time he was doing this like pattern of behavior of going missing right around the time that Christy vanished and all these things were happening to the other women that we talked about in the episode and they're saying like he was so good at concealing his location even the cops and the the GBI with all of the technology at their fingertips can't really figure out where he was when Christy went missing. You guys, one of our sponsors this week is the podcast Not Another True Crime. We're going to tell you all about it. Attention podcast listeners, do you want to hear more stories about crimes, scams, conspiracies, and cults, but without the scary stuff? Do you prefer your true crime with a healthy mix of Hillary Duff and Britney Spears references peppered in? Uh, yes, girl, that's me. Well, listen, we've got the podcast for you. Not Another True Crime podcast by Betches Media is a weekly podcast hosted by Sarah Levine and Casey Balsham and Danny Murphy. Each episode is a breakdown of an interesting case from the world of true crime the way you talk about it with your friends in your living room over wine. Sarah, Casey, and Danny specialize in two specific areas, scams, cults, crimes, and pyramid schemes, and spontaneously breaking into song when a Broadway show is mentioned in passing. Girl, you remember Broadway. You used to work there. I know. I love them. Can Sarah, Casey, and Danny have me on? I'm looking for a new podcast partner, you guys. So if you want a weekly dose of true crime that you can stomach, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and catch the new episode every Monday. 
So something not covered in the episode, something I found said, I don't know why they didn't say this, or maybe this information is not correct, but it says cell phone records show that James's phone was actually pinged in that wooded area the night that Christy disappeared. That wasn't put in the episode, but that just came up in some of my research. And, and, and they say like at the end, like we still don't know for sure that he did it or where she is, but he's the best suspect that we have. And so you got an update. I didn't get an update on Amazon. You got an update watching it on the so um, this is the update on Chrissy Cornwall. Her brother, Richard Cornwall, quit his job oh. and devoted himself to finding his sister. Like, I just couldn't believe that. And on New Year's Day 2011, he found her burned body in the woods. He found her? Yeah. He found her? Yeah, the brother found her nine miles from where she was abducted. And the family was just so grateful so that they could lay her to rest. They laid her to rest that month, January of 2011. So was was he just like searching the woods every day? Literally, he was just combing. He quit his job and he combed the mountains, the area. He combed it day in, day out. That's That was all he did. I was like- I And mean, he found her. And he found That's her. That's bananas. So then I found this um, statement from the GBI. The Cornwall's family's devotion to finding Christy was unlike anything I'd seen in more than 20 years as an investigator. Without a doubt, I've never seen anything like this. And then the quote goes on to say, I was telling Mrs. Cornwall today, actually, and I was thanking her. What a pleasure it's been able to work with them because they did absolutely everything they asked and more. Richard, her brother, was the one that found that first clue. And he gave up his life and was not going to rest. I mean, listen, the human spirit is amazing. They were not going to rest until they solved the case. And it's a tragic end and really, really sad. But I think there's something nice that they can at least, you know, have some closure. Say something funny. You pack Danielle's stack, especially in the back. Brother, want to thank your mother for a butt like that. Can I get some fries with the shake, shake booty? If looks could kill, you would be an Uzi or shotgun why bang. Is, why is rapping your go-to when I say say something funny? Did I rap before? Yes. When did I rap? I don't remember. I don't did I do know. that song? Yes. That's the only rap song you know. Oh, it just, it just, pop, like, it just, like, you know when you're laying, laying at night and you're like, laying at night and you're like, there's some holes in this house. There's some holes in <laughs> Like, and why do you just keep saying that one over and over again? I don't know. Don't There's know. some holes in this house. There's some holes in this house. You are out of your fucking mind. Girl, season two. Was that episode six or seven? Episode four. 54 and a half. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, that one was crazy. Girl, we're going through them. We're, we're lining them up, knocking them down. I know. Tell them about the Facebook group. All right, you guys, we have a Facebook group. We're 10,000 strong and counting. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. Come hang out. Every time Ellen says something stupid on Friday Night Live, she then goes into the Facebook group and goes live afterwards without telling me to then like make fun of me, even though I'm not the one who said that John Wilkes Booth killed John F. Kennedy. I, I don't. I, I, I don't know. If <laughs> I throw a stick, will you leave? I don't know. <laughs> and then you can also follow us on Instagram. It's The Disappeared Pod. Every Friday night at 6 o'clock, we go live. I don't know what else to say. The Friday Night Lives are pretty spectacular. I love it. I love seeing you. It's like it's like our one time we actually have to just sit and stare at each other that's like not work-related. What is work-related? <laughs> yeah. Are we on Twitter, too? What's Twitter? I don't know. <laughs> you can follow me at, at Ellen Marsh, Ellen with a Y, and what? 
What? What, Patrick? I put out good content. I'm here for the people. When are you going to stop just shamelessly self-promoting? What are you going to do when the president bans TikTok? That's not going to happen. <laughs> you can follow me at Patrick Hines. If you're into politics, you can follow Donald Trump at Joe Biden, where every week I say, give generously to the Republican Party at Joe Biden. We are edited by Henry Lavoy. We haven't said that in a while. I love Henry. Henry, thank you for making us sound not like dipsticks. <laughs> Uh, that's it. I love you, girl. I love you. We love you guys. Oh, wait. What? I had something else I wanted to say. Wait, what did I want to say? I don't know. Another social media handle with your name on it. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Have you ever exercised? I love exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to us, our freshman year of college. I'll never forget it. We were standing in line in the cafeteria for dinner. Ellen's in like a sports bra and shorts ordering like two double fried chicken sandwiches. And I went, did you go to the gym? And you went, yeah, it's free. <laughs> oh my God. You, you oh my God. She really isn't nice, is she? Everyone says it's true. I mean, listen, this is why my inferiority complex is fully justified. <laughs> it's because of you. <laughs> I hate both of those words. Danger and dusk. I hate the word dusk. I was like, Christy and Cornwell. <laughs> no, danger and dusk. Nice. I don't like the word danger and dusk. Make up your mind. Are you day or are you night? I don't like We're it. <laughs> I know, and she said that the dispatch can sometimes transfer. You're saying that word really weirdly. What? You're saying dispatch. 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 Spell dispatch. I don't think I can. <laughs> D-I-S-P-A-T-C-H. Dispatch. <laughs> it's almost like you're taking a break in the middle. Dispatch. Dispatch? <laughs> Do you want to see my boobs? No. Uh... Wow. Your no was like six syllables. <laughs> um, God. And, and I'm the dramatic one. Okay. <laughs> One of the last times um, when you were still married that I went to your house, he opened the door with his shirt off. Okay, where does this story go, Patrick? He is really, really hot. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know what, I don't, what, what, do you like, do you like that? Do you like, do you like seeing this face that I'm giving you right now? No, I liked seeing that tall, lean, British body. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I, I, are you gonna, like, was that it? Was that it for yeah, today? Yeah, that's it. No, I'm sorry, ma'am. You're asking about the neighborhood in Don't Hike This Mountain Alone, Bring a Friend and a Dog in a Small Handgun Mountain. Yes, that's what I'm asking about. Love that mountain. I love that mountain.